0: baby he's back
1: in the bolt thrower long sleeve yes this is my work shirt this is the this is i figure i can get a couple of days out of it since basically all i'm doing is like wearing it while i sit in front of the computer and then i take it off and leave it on my chair yeah it's so, not like i'm walking around fucking stinking like a dumpster
0: you should be how are you probably should Else things
1: Pretty good, dude. I am uh, like I'm still learning my way around town on my runs, so I didn't uh, I didn't time this morning very well for my for my Thursday ten miler because I got a little bit lost. But I made it back in time. I wanted to be back in time to do a little bit of uh, preparing, writing some things down in my little notebook that I keep next to me while I do these things. But that doesn't matter because I'm here and you're here, and we got a cool dude who's also going to be joining us today. How are you? I'm awesome, man. I was preparing myself for
0: this podcast, listening to a little spoiler alert deformatory when I was going for a run myself, bro.
1: It was- deformatory. What did you think? Did it scramble your fucking brain?
0: It did. It was a little more than I expected, to be honest. I, I didn't it, too much. It is
1: it. relentless technical death metal, yeah. and the. Uh, yeah, for sure. And, like, their their last record, um, Malediction, came out in 2016, and I just cannot believe that it didn't get more eyes on it uh, than it did. And, you know, the record label, it was on CDN Records, which I love, Canadian, Canadian death metal. Um, I don't know if maybe there just weren't. Uh, you, who knows? Who can say? Um, but it seems like they have put a whole lot into doing promo and getting the word out for their new record that comes out in September, and so I am really, really hoping that the world of tech death takes notice of Deformatory and that they just shoot to the fucking top of the charts.
0: I think we're playing our part in that. We're, we're casting that spell for them a little bit. We're trying.
1: We're going to try to, man. We're certainly going to try to.
0: They might be ghosts because uh, they entered the waiting room and then they disappeared, so don't say too many good things about them because that might, that might disguise them. You know,
1: it might, it, might, I don't, I don't, it might not be that it might be, it's just, might be the government interference again, man, especially yeah. now that I'm in the nation's capital. They don't want us fucking collaborating with Canadian nationals about dangerous don't. technical death metal. They probably don't. And that,
0: that still wraps my brain that you're in the nation's capital. Now that's, that's you. That's, that's all yeah. I'm, I'm, it's I'm
1: pretty right. wow. it's pretty sick, dude. I like uh, uh, on many days when I do runs in the middle of the day, I fucking I run by the press secretary uh, eating lunch outside at this cafe um, that I that's on usually all of my routes. So, yeah, it's pretty it's pretty surreal, man. That's
0: fucking cool. And did you try to get him on lifts and rips ever?
1: No, I didn't. I I don't know if she would want to. And and like the interesting thing is, like, every time I run past her, it seems like there's somebody like she's sitting down at a table in front of this cafe and there's like someone and it's pretty much always a dude like a different dude every time who's like standing up talking to her which makes me think that she's just trying to have lunch or whatever and there's probably some motherfucker who every time walks by and says i'm gonna give her a piece of my mind or some kind of shit like that but maybe one day if i walk up and like wearing a fucking cryptopsy shirt or something i'll go and i'll say excuse me uh Jen, would you like to come on the lifts and rest podcast and talk about fucking cryptopsy and food whatever you're eating right now we'll talk about that it'll be great
0: yeah she's the secretary of press she'd be great she might be able to give us some pointers
1: she probably could man she definitely um every now and then like little clips of her having to navigate bullshit questions that different members of the media throw at her it makes its way into my twitter feed and it's always an entertaining thing to watch she's got the skills man she better because we fucking don't
0: but more importantly let's talk about this maryland death fest 2022 lineup bro are you God God
1: almighty wh- are, you are you fucking are you shitting your pants or what we,
0: we i mean there's no way we're not gonna be there
1: Especially Oh, we're gonna be there
0: there yeah we're gonna be there hard you wait you listen people listen be there that's all you
1: need to know we're gonna be there we're gonna see like a million different uh, dude i can't even fathom how many like bucket list bands are gonna be on that bill like i i would have to sit down and go through each one
0: yeah i want to see one by one i literally want to see them all i mean first of all you have Fabio Frizzy there too, just just in the middle. He's of Yeah, you have him doing the Beyond soundtrack, which that's fine. That's no big. General Surgery, bro. Yeah. What? Violence. All the way cancer? from who? Violence, cancer,
1: cancers. Yes. Cancer is gonna be pretty incredible, man. I I wonder if they're gonna have like a new record by then. I hope so. I hope so. We're gonna get uh, Carcass on Lifts and Rifts. During that time, I feel like we probably could. This will be after, um, you know, this will be well after Torn Arteries comes out, and yeah. hopefully, I will get my uh, my carcass tattoo by then. I don't have we talked about that on here. Have we talked about yeah, that let's also?
0: talk about your carcass tattoo real quick.
1: So, you know, a lot of people were like not happy with the the cover art for the new Carcass record. Have you seen it? You know the, what I'm
0: talking about. All, all the vegetables.
1: Yeah, it's like a it's like a heart made out of vegetables, and yeah. I think that's just I think that shit's fucking baller, man. I think it's really cool. I think it's very much them. It's a very it's, thing. It, that they exactly, it, it is. Me, you know? It's 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 the tongue in cheek carcass delivery that we have all come to know and love. But uh, you know, even still, people are like talking shit about it. So I put on Twitter like, I'm not gonna pay for this, but if somebody else pays for this. I will get this fucking t- tattoo of this uh, Torn arteries cover artwork tattooed on my body somewhere. And uh, a couple of people decided, started talking about starting a GoFundMe to do it. And um, it, hasn't, it hasn't happened yet. But if it does, and, 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 and we get enough money to get like, and I'm not talking about, I'm mean, going to have this motherfucker forever. So I'm not talking about like a cheap, shitty $20 tattoo. Yeah. If we can do it right, and if we can find somebody who's going to do it right, I will 100% get that fucking cover art tattooed on my body somewhere prominent. My wife was not going to be happy about it, but that'll be okay. Um, and we're going to tell Carcass about it, and they're going to be like, of course we want to talk to you guys. We'll talk to you about this tattoo the entire time. Fucking whatever, but we're going to talk to Carcass
0: that's how we're going to rope that into our campaign about being on Maryland Death Fest. But just having the podcast be there. We're going to get tattoos while we're there. You know, Tat- car- car- carcass tattoos. Getting them on. We're putting on a show. We're a community. We're inviting people. Come hang. We're giving I'm them fucking definitely- death, bro. We're giving them sparkling water. Doing
1: push-ups. Come on. It's going to be. It's going to be everything that a summer festival should be.
0: It really should be. It, re- it really is going to be. Tryptocon, even I just saw that. That's gonna I didn't even see that they were there. I just I'm looking at this lineup right now, I'm just freaking out, honestly.
1: This so maybe it's time for me to fucking start bugging Tom Warrior again. Yeah.
0: Or maybe that's when we'll that's when
1: we'll get him. We'll get them live. Can can you look Tom Warrior in the eyes and be okay? Like anything? I don't think I can, man. I it's gonna be especially doing in-person shit, right? Like over Zoom, maybe but dealing with his piercing gaze in person that's my good. weak form simply cannot handle it i don't think
0: that's going to be a, that's what you should try microdosing for the first time
1: <laughs> oh my god, god. no that would be dude <laughs> what a, a tale for the ages i would be like and then and then he would like he seems like a dude who makes a first impression on or gets the first impression of somebody and then like is stuck with it and he's yeah. gonna. I, I. don't want Thomas G. Warrior to hate me for the remainder of my life and his life, uh. Because I was fucking, you know. You say start micro dosing. With my luck, I would end up fucking doing it wrong and tripping fucking balls trying to talk to Tom G. Warrior about you know, who knows where the conversation would go.
0: Might end up being the greatest podcast interview of all time, though. If you it's possible to look at it, we're gonna go viral. Speaking of going viral, the is in the waiting room. We're letting very Charlie- well done yes smooth segue the smooth, the smooth segue with charlie from deformatory can you hear us brother
2: i can definitely hear you guys can you guys hear me can. we can hear you charlie what's going on dude not much man it's going okay i, I, I should i there turn in the video hey yeah well, now we got him man hey nice Here to you meet you guys.
1: Video is not required, but we do like to see smiling faces looking back at us. I feel like the energy is better that way. <laughs> well, um, listen,
2: you'll get plenty of goofy smiles from me. That's uh well, this, yeah, this is,
1: th- that, it's a goofy smile type podcast, man. Thank you so much, Char- So we got Charlie Leduc with us of Deformatory today. I'm Shuler. I'm the guy who's been bugging the shit out of you online. Uh, joining me today is my buddy Zach from Death Comes Lifting, just hey, following man. each
0: other. What's up, brother? How are uh, you?
2: It's going good, man. Going good. How about you?
0: Awesome, man. We were uh, we were both just kind of working out, running before this. And I was, uh, I was checking out the formatory while I was doing it. We were talking a little before the show. Shit rattled my brain, man. I was not prepared for
1: it. <laughs> <laughs> man, thank we're, you.
0: We're both excited to <SSSSSSR> yeah. talk to you.
1: Oh, that's one awesome! Of the, uh, one of the things that we like to do, you know, there's the, the it, it's it's a it's a podcast that has a number of different converging interests, and uh, wellness and health and fitness are definitely part of that, and death metal is part of that, and horror is part of that. But one of our little rituals that we've kind of fallen into with this is um, going back and and listening to you know, the music of whoever it is we're going to be talking to during a run or during a workout or whatever, as we prepare for the podcast that day or the next day, or whatever. And we were both doing a little uh, cardio action to deformatory today. And I, you know, I've heard the new record, but I, I ended up going back to Malediction today. Um, oh, cool. Yeah. Just because that that's where I came on board with the band. And it's such a batshit crazy record. Um <laughs> <laughs> the, the 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 technicality of that really caught me off guard the first time that i heard it and i feel like the progression between that and what you guys are doing on the new record is just really really impressive um and i would love to know more about the formation of the band i've, I've really been enjoying before we do that i do want to say that <laughs> the videos that you guys have been posting on instagram um and i hope everybody listening will go and check out Deformatory on social media and get a little bit more information about their process and their history and and sort of what makes them tick but if you have not seen that we're gonna get Charlie and maybe do a little bit of reading with us today on the show and tell <laughs> us a little bit about the band a little bit about yeah. the history uh give us the rundown man
2: sure yeah well first of all man thank you so much for everything you just said I mean it, it means so much uh you know, to both of us in, in the band to hear this kind of stuff you know we we've never had any expectations that anyone outside of us would would listen to the music so it's always, it's always really cool to to kind of hear that stuff so thank you it really means a lot
1: absolutely it's cool man
2: um, yeah so man the, the the band really started back in like 20, uh, 2009 here in Ottawa Ontario Canada Um, the band started under a different band name called the Tual Masak, which is like this super weird name that uh, our previous vocalist kind of came up with it basically is uh uh it's from like this novel that he was reading and it describes it's like a language that describes a sword called the blood drinker sword anyways that's 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 what the name
0: of the fucking I'm band fu- was dude i'm here for it so, <laughs> yes uh, how much more metal do you want
2: oh you know that that was the thing right and like (laughs) when I first joined I did not know what the the name of the band was they kind of hit me with that after I I sent my like my guitar submission video to them but uh you know uh, to me personally the name I I was able to look really look past it quickly because the music itself in the beginning was really interesting to me it's unlike anything i had heard um and uh, the band was originally formed by our previous guitar player Jeff and Neil who's our drummer Uh, and he's been with us aside from like about a one and a half year break Neil's been with us from the beginning so Um, and those two have known each other forever they they grew up in Nova Scotia together so like they kind of had this long friendship and and whatnot and they started jamming together on like You know old Metallica stuff when they first picked up drums and first picked up guitars so it was a really kind of it was actually cool joining the band back then because like their synergy was was really rad you know what I mean like they'd just been playing together for like a billion years it was really cool Uh, and that's what the band kind of started off as was uh, was essentially Jeff, myself, Neil and our previous vocalist Daryl and we all came we all really liked extreme metal we all were big fans of death metal like death metal is is was everyone's constant there but every member had like something else that they were equally passionate about. like i would say like neil really likes uh some like old school uh you know like like general heavy metal you know like British heavy metal, and like he also loves some black metal stuff, so like his influences and in a couple things were were more in that category. Jeff was more on the progressive side, so you know, he really liked like Cynic and Mr. Bungle and and shit like that
0: crazy
2: shit, yeah, oh yeah, just nuts. Just like, and, and you know, when, when you talk to him or when you see him, like that's like he's the embodiment of that music, like he's just like. <laughs> all over he's the fucking got, place
1: you know he's got he's got mr bungle energy in person that's a fucking that's a terrifying individual
2: oh yeah yeah i mean harmless as can be but like he's like this this massive like 350 pound guy who's like the biggest teddy bear but has so many ideas uh coming out all at once that you don't know what's coming out you know what i mean so yeah, yeah. a cool person to stick with uh, when when you're in the right headspace for it. But um but yeah he was into that kind of stuff uh and his personality followed and uh Daryl was like into like uh like new metal and like a lot of like clean vocal kind of stuff and he fancied himself a bit of a of a singer you know so like that was that was like his extra thing that he brought into the mix and, and like I was pretty I was probably the most boring out of out of everyone. I just I just loved Brutal death metal, you know, like give me some gorgasm, give me some severed savior, and I'm happy as pie. I didn't have anything that was like ultra unique to add to the table. But but the four of us in that moment, with all of like those interests and kind of like amalgamations of of musical preferences fused together in the beginning, what was essentially deformatory, which is we wanted to make it a cohesive pile of chaotic fuckery. Essentially, you know what like I mean. This.
0: Yes I do. That's going
2: to be the title of the podcast. So yeah so in the beginning especially from 2009 into 2011 like it was just literally all of us just like hey what about this idea hey what about that idea and trying to make and mash songs together. Um, The the good thing is that Jeff did have like maybe four or five tracks pre-written that he had like done over the years and that became like the foundation That we based everything off of in the very, very beginning. Uh, but I would say maybe after like two or three shows that we played here locally under that, that band name, uh, we, I got personally fed up of being asked by people (laughs) and by fans or, or, you know, by, by friends just being like, okay, listen, Charlie, what the fuck is this band name? Like what, (laughs) what are you guys even like, what does it mean? How do you pronounce it? And I, I personally couldn't pronounce it properly. Like I'm French Canadian, English is my second language, so like it's already a bit of a challenge to articulate everything properly. But it was in that moment where we we're like, okay, listen, this this band name's got to change. And then we li- literally spent four months after that uh, fighting <laughs> and having like flip charts and PowerPoint presentations and pizza nights and all sorts of random shit. <laughs> And, and you know, and the best that we were able to come up with was deformatory, you know, out of all, out of all the things, you know, we came up with something like that. So, uh, but yeah, we decided to to kind of land on deformatory for a couple of reasons. We liked that it was kind of made up. We yeah. liked that it was available. We liked that right out of the gate. Even if you didn't know anything, you kind of already got an idea where you're going with it. Um, so, so yeah, and that's kind of what what shaped us in the very beginning, and then from 2011 onwards until our first album in 2013, we uh, we recorded a few small things. We recorded uh, an EP called A Prelude Of, I think it was. It was like a two-track EP. Um, we actually recorded it with um, Bart from Quo um, like Oh the, cool. The, yeah, so we went to his studio near Montreal and we we recorded that EP with him and that was a pretty cool experience. Um, and then we recorded a single in the same year in 2011 called Believe the Lie. Mm-hmm. And and those were the only recordings that had uh, Jake Hansen, who was our, a drummer that came in when when Neil left the band for that very brief period of time. And those were also the only recordings where Daryl, our vocalist with the 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 leaning towards singing, yeah. you know cleanly uh, uh made his like mark on, on the deformatory like discography mm-hmm. and then fo- after that uh after 2011 uh we we kind of switched gears we got Neil back into the fold we let uh Daryl go just as we were recording our first album and uh, and we had avoided um we didn't have a vocalist we had just started we had most of the album already recorded and uh, and literally, I just jumped on board to do vocals because fuck, we needed it, <laughs> we needed it done. And and it was only ever meant to be a temporary thing. It was like, okay, well, let's just record the vocals, let's get it out, and we'll find a new vocalist for the next album. And and now we're like on album three, and I'm still stuck, uh, you know, doing vocals. So,
1: well, and you know, that so that 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 first record in the wake of Pestilence, um, it's it often seems. It always interests me when I hear, and this is a more common story than I think I, I, I would know, because I'm, I'm not, you know, I've been in bands, but I don't I don't consider myself to be a musician. It's surprising to me, especially in death metal, how often the person who does the vocals ended up having to just, like, go, fuck it, I'll do it. Like, instead of, yeah. instead of like, recruiting an actual vocalist, you've got the guitar or the drummer or somebody else in the band who, who is focused on these other things, who ends up having to say... Uh, we can't find a person who can do this or we are not, you know, we're not meshing with the person that we've got or whatever. And then somebody in the band steps up and does it. And lo and behold, it sounds like it was meant to be that way the entire time. Um, did you feel that way with the first record? Because it, like you, you say, you know, we'll just do it as a temporary thing and then we'll get somebody later. And here you are three albums later. Um, yeah. Do you... did it did it did it end up being by design after that when you realized like man this really fucking clicks
2: um you you know i don't i don't think it's actually fully clicked yet to be honest it's still uh even when i'm doing vocals now it is the thing that uh i'm probably the most in i don't want to say insecure but like the most unsure about you know, I'm always, it's the one thing I'm always second guessing and I'm always like, Hey Neil, are you sure this is okay? Kind of thing. I never asked if it's okay with my guitar parts. Like I don't, you know, like I, I'm always okay with that. But with, with vocals, I, it's still like, I still feel like the temporary vocalist personally. Uh, I, I don't think that's ever really gone away. Um, the, the one thing is that we definitely knew after we heard, cause we have demos, right. of, in the wake of pestilence with daryl on vocals and with his what he was going to originally do and and we've you know we've compared those demos to what we have now and, and all of us in the band uh were all super happy with the direction of it just being you know a guttural assault um yeah. so i think that as a band we were happy with how it turned out but personally speaking i i still it, it, I still feel like an imposter, you know. Whenever I'm doing vocals, it was like never meant to be my thing. But uh, but, fuck, it's just it's just the way it's folding out right now. It's just so weird. You feel like maybe that's healthy in a way. Of course, and being pushed outside of your boundaries is like the best possible thing. Well, you guys know, you guys just came from a run from a run. I used to be a marathon runner. Like the 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 first thing that we used to you know teach people when we were bringing them onto our running courses. Was like as soon as you're ready to quit, push yourself an extra half k. And as soon as you're ready to quit at that extra half k, push yourself for another like quarter, you know. And and it's always you got to push your boundaries, push your limits, push like your your abilities, because in the end, that's good for you. And if you're uncomfortable and you're performing, then you know th- that's a good marker for growth. So yeah, so I think it's like it's a healthy thing, but I don't want to be doing it.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, that, I, it's, it's kind of a double-edged sword that way, right? Because you do you do have this, like there's the experimentation that comes with trying something outside your comfort zone. Um, there are, you know, if, if in the event you do something that you feel like maybe is a misstep or whatever, I think that you end up feeling more confident about the direction that you choose to go in after that, be fucked up or because you tried something different or, or, or however, however it is that you end up sort of processing that afterwards before you move on to something else. But it's really, it's, it's, it's cool to me that you compare what you do as a vocalist to sort of the the, the pushing yourself that that takes place in um, any sort of physical activity or competitive activity or athletic activity, um, because I think that so much of that is not just not just about the 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 things that you do to push yourself in one direction or another when you're feeling like you said insecure or uh, sort of outside your comfort zone. But just with this genre of music in general, I feel like that is sort of the driving principle in a lot of ways behind the writing. There's this, that the technicality and the, the brutality and everything that, that come with this music, I feel like when it's driven by that, um, we, get, we get to a level that we might not do otherwise.
2: Yeah, I think you make a really good point, and and there definitely are a lot of similarities. Uh, I think the one that stands out it's it's always uh, about the end result, right? It's like, what what's the end goal? So some people say, oh, it's the journey that matters. Yeah, but sometimes the journey fucking sucks and it's painful as hell and you know there's other things to rather be doing with your time but like even in fitness you have a specific goal whether it's weight whether it's a certain level of fitness well you're gonna have to endure tons of pain recovery of that all that kind of stuff in order to get that end result and and i find that that's the case with with us and i'm sure uh, many other bands like us um who have to do things in the moment like i'll I'll be honest man like recording an album preparing for an album doing all this kind of stuff not not my favorite part of the gig you know but i I love the end result i love holding like the cd in my hand or the vinyl in my hand uh i love hearing people's feedback i love playing a show and playing those those songs but everything that goes up until that point man sometimes just bites you know what i mean
1: yeah. I mean, and that's, but that, that, that in the end makes it more rewarding. Right. And I think it's, I think it's, it's funny how often we find ourselves as we, we end up getting labeled one thing like a musician or a writer or whatever. And then at the, the really our relationship with that thing is liking having done it more than liking doing it. You know what I mean? Yeah. 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 Of course. Um, and so Using that as sort of a jumping off point after in the wake of Pestilence, mm-hmm. like what was what was the mindset within the band after that first record?
2: Yeah, so in the wake of P- Pestilence for us was was uh, uh, blew our minds um, in the sense of the reception that we had because again we never had any expectations. Like we're not delusional. We know we're we're an underground you know death metal band we're only gonna so far and get so high like we're cool and we're totally cool with that like that's part of that, that's what we tell people if you're signing up this is what you're signing up for like you're achieving mediocrity like this is it you know <laughs> but but no it's but we were really we were really happy with how the album got received and it for us it was a big deal like we were shipping our people were buying our albums over the like in 2013 all over the world right like we were going to the post office and sending things to Japan and Latvia and Peru and all different parts of the United States. And for like a small underground band from Canada, that was like a huge deal, man. We were, we could not stop smiling. It was a massive thing for us. We were so stoked. It was like super cool. And, um, and so going into malediction, we, we really wanted to like replicate that, that became like the new high, you know, just kind of like you hit your first half K you know, your, your, your first half marathon, I should say. And you're like, fuck, I could do this now. I could do a half marathon. Why not go for a full marathon? I could do a half, right? Like very similar. So we, we hit that mark. We, we, we found out that not everyone thought we were, we were shit and we really enjoyed, you know, the the process. And so we, we went into it wanting to kind of uh, push ourselves uh, musically a little bit more and, and just kind of really lock in. The, the only problem is that there were some members in the band in that moment, specifically our, our, our first guitar player, Jeff, who was starting to kind of pull himself away. You know, the whatever the, the novelty wore off, he had some ideas that he wanted to inject uh, and everyone was more like, no, we kind of want to keep going in this direction. And, uh, and unfortunately, when you have someone as creative and as passionate, like that in the band who has very strong like ideas and not everyone is like y- unanimously on board it definitely really makes it I know I would find it difficult to stick around you know so I, so although it sucked in the moment like he he chose to say you know what I'm out but in that process we had already written half of malediction so half of malediction was written in strife right because you know he was like pouting <laughs> or like, you know, he was going through his own stuff. And that when we didn't want to be there. So we were like dealing with that internal drama uh, within the band, which was like very low key nonsense. But, uh, but once he, he pretty much kind of left the band, it opened uh, everything up for us to kind of, we wrote the rest of the songs really quickly. We had brought Dan Rogers on board to fill uh, to replace Jeff on guitar. And, and Dan and I had worked together on developing a, a different tech death project something that was even more nuts than deformatory so i already knew that dan would be super on board to joining what we were doing and he was also the guy that recorded our first album in the wake Evolence. so Wait. so he was a recording engineer uh he had tons of like and he's just like the best guitar player that i've ever encountered in my life as far as i'm concerned so he was like a ringer for sure far better than than anything i could do um, and it was it was just really awesome. So when he jumped on board to kind of add his flair, which came in a form of like solos and leads and take over the recording process, we really felt that at that point, malediction, despite how it got there, despite the journey, the end result was was, was a pretty cool a- end package.
1: Agreed. I, um, do you feel like maybe the the do you feel like the tension from the early parts of that recording process maybe or the writing process maybe were a catalyst for how how good things got after you know you found somebody who gelled with the direction the band was going in?
2: Um, Yes but not, not malediction. It, that really kind of happened once malediction was over. I, I found I, oh, f- okay. I, I found that once like that chapter was done and we were now writing things fresh you know like um, and, and we had done a bunch of shows after malediction, like we really drive together as a full band at that point. Like, um, so it wasn't just like a bunch of people just meeting up. Like we were actually doing a bunch of shows together and I felt that that's really where the chemistry kind of locked in, but yeah, it definitely did help. Um, but in that moment, I, I still find that with Malediction, I'm, we're all really happy with how it turned out. But we always wish we could go back and just do one thing completely different. And that was um, we recorded Malediction to like a click track, which is like the most everyone does it, right? It's like sure. standard. But, yeah. but we, we, don't, we don't write or we didn't record it in the Wicked excellence to a click track. It was all like a live off the floor kind of feel and we love that kind of like slightly off tempo almost going off the rails kind of feel to things but malediction it's like really kind of in control you know what i mean and i think that's the the only thing there that we wish we would have we we could could have changed because when when you hear malediction played live or in a rehearsal space it's it's so much crazier it's exactly the way it's supposed to sound like you know what i mean um, but it's in, in, in that moment when we were practicing malediction for live live shows or playing, uh, practicing for the new material, that's when the, that band in, in that moment really kind of really gelled.
1: That's, and that's, that's wild. Um, specifically, one of the things that jumps out at me about malediction and that I thought from the second that I heard it, and I'm talking about my friend Chris before, who's also a big fan of you guys is just how fucking mechanical that record is. And not like, I, I feel like it's easy to to take that and say like, oh, well, you you know, you're removing a human element from it that's not uh, as good or whatever. But no, like it, it, like it, it's, it, that, that, that record sounds like this one perfectly put together fucking machine of individuals who are just operating on this exact same wavelength. It's so tight, it's so heavy. Um, and so sitting here trying to think about what it must be like live when you guys are sort of, you know, throwing in uh, changes in pace or other little differences like that. Like I would love to see that live. We yeah. had Dan, we had Dan from unfathomable ruination on not too long ago. Um, killer band. Absolutely killer band. one of the thing he was talking about was how, how different a lot of their old material was when they played it live that that was sort of the impetus behind re-recording a song for the ep that they just put out because Mm -hmm. there's so much of a difference between the the original document of that of that recording and then the way that they like to do it live and you know listening to an artist talk about that and then hearing the difference between the old version and the new version that shit really gets me pumped to like maybe actually get to see you guys live one day and sort of see the difference with those old songs
2: yeah absolutely and and it's it's again because like we're a live band like we we write we wrote these, those songs and we write all of our songs in a rehearsal space as a jam, right? Like there's, I don't, I don't sit at home and pre-write parts. I don't even use guitar pro. I don't even know how to use guitar pro. Like we're just like, not that kind of, of band. I wish we were in a lot of ways It would make like a lot of other things easier, but that's just not our thing, right? we we jam and we, we mash things together until it sounds cool to us. And, and the on malediction, uh that was the sound that we go for we wanted like a really clean well produced to the grid kind of thing and 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 you know what a big props to dan for for making that happen with us because we didn't know how to do it so he like he did all the work to create tempo maps and get everything ready plus like he recorded his own parts and he he did like a metric ton of work and that album is is a really cool snapshot of where we were in that moment right we we wanted to take something that was kind of like not polished and polish it up. And, and so it's always, it's, it's really neat to hear that you like it and that it, it gives you like a cool impression. Um, f- for us, we, we like it too, for a lot of different reasons, uh, but we also wish that maybe, you know, it would come across better if it was like done, like we, like we played at the
1: rehearsal space, bottom line. So that brings us to, and now, you know, Malediction came out in, you know in in band years um a lifetime <laughs> feels like right yeah. Um, yeah, yeah so let's sort of pick up <laughs> let's pick up after that um and sort of talk about the journey since then it's led us up to this upcoming record
2: yeah okay so the last like five years or so which is like when when we put out malediction the first uh, year or two we concentrated on playing shows and just kind of enjoying the album and and we were we were getting orders like for for a very long time which made us really happy. Like, you know, it, it was really cool. Um, and, um, and then we were starting to write. We basically, as soon as Malediction, it wasn't even completely done yet. We had just like, uh, we hadn't finished recording that album and we had wrote the first song that is now like on inversion of the Unseen Horizon. So, and that's always kind of been our thing. Like when we were, we weren't even done in the wake of pestilence and we had already wrote know the first track from malediction we're just always constantly writing uh because we're just always jamming right um so after after the show stuff uh started kind of dying down we went through um a couple different bass players and and actually our bass player justin who was with us from in the wake of pestilence and um on malediction he uh he actually committed suicide so he had uh, gone through um you know uh, a number of, of things and and unfortunately that that you know that happened type I'm so of thing. sorry to hear that man that's terrible yeah and uh and you know it, uh, we had gone through we had already had some some bass players kind of fill in you know while Justin moved away and was like kind of distancing himself from everyone and we we had some fill-ins and stuff like that, but it just wasn't driving. I mean, Justin was like for us. He was always like he was like the exact type of bass player that we wanted to have in 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 the band. He had a really great style. He was the easiest person to get along with. He was always down. And in fact, like he was the youngest guy in the band, but he was always the most fucking prepared. You know, like I, I remember this. I don't know if you guys have time for like a quick like deformatory story. Absolutely, man. Please. So. <laughs> so we had done the we did a um a, like a weekend of stupid shows basically we're from ottawa and then we did the show in peterborough which is like about th- almost four hours away from us so we did that on one night and then we drove back to ottawa crashed for a couple hours and then drove to Sherbrooke, quebec which is a four hours in the opposite direction right we just kind of did like a weekend warrior thing and this was a uh, in around the middle of march and after we'd played the show in Sherbrooke, uh, we, um, decided we were going to crash in a parking lot for a couple hours before we drove back. Cause we we're all just bagged. No one could drive back. Now when we woke up somehow in that, like that three, four hours that we had slept in the van, a, a massive Canadian blizzard hit us. Like the entire vehicle was covered in snow and our, our fan belt on the, on the van then it blew it actually was the ac compressor so it snapped everything so we we're gonna have to wait until things open up right in the morning to kind of get apart. it was just like it it was just the weekend from from hell it just was turning out right (laughs) now out of all of us like myself jeff who was still there in the band and neil you know we're all older guys we have you know careers we're established we we were like looking after justin you know in our minds you know looking after the kid he was the only one that had like undergarments. He was like dressed for the weather. <laughs> he had packed his own lunch. you know, he had did all these things. Like he was completely fine to be on his own. Jeff, actually, it was like a, a massive ordeal for him. Like he'd, he'd called police. He was like frantically like in a state of emergency in his mind. and you know, it was like it was this whole big, big thing. but at the end of it, Justin was like level-headed. Super organized, like just the kind of guy that you want in the band when everything's kind of going haywire. So it was really difficult to to find like a proper replacement for him. And you know, we just decided that we weren't going to do it after we had uh, we had one bass bass player in for almost a year, helping out with shows and stuff. Um, and and uh, when he left, we were just like, you know what, this is just not a void that we need to fill, and we're just not going to do it so um and yeah and then uh so we we continued writing in version of the unseen horizon um mostly just neil and myself dan was still in the band but he was already kind of starting to kind of uh uh, whittle out of things you know he, he was going through like all sorts of personal things and wanted to make a change like what he was interested in musically which happens totally cool with it um But Neil and I just kept meeting up week after week, no matter who was showing up, who was in the band at the time. And whenever Neil and I would, would meet up, we'd write a track. So it took us no time at all to, to write the songs for Inversion of Unseen Horizon. But we just really took our time with getting it to the recording stage because we just loved jamming on it so much. And then COVID-19 hit and we didn't know, you know, which direction to kind of go into and all this kind of stuff. So, yeah, a lot of the delays that happened were just the result of us really kind of taking our time to make sure that the right people in the right moment were part of what we were going to do on this album. And also, we just love the songs so much that we were just really happy playing them week after week and refining them a bit more and and getting to know them a little bit more before letting them go. It's kind of a weird thing
1: with that much time spent you know writing and playing these songs and sort of uh, using that chemistry uh, between the two of you guys to sort of get them to a different place how much how much do you think that those songs changed between when you initially wrote them and when you ended up recording them oh uh, record?
2: very little I, I could send you some demos like the, the how we how we did is we would jam and let's just say everything was like cool and we were like okay let's let's play that again as best as we could remember and let's record it so we have we have something to reference to next week when we come back, right? And so we would record in like a Zoom recorder or a cell phone, whatever we had around very low tech and uh, some of those demos from like Beyond the Abhorrence, the track that's been out for a bit, uh, Impaled Upon the Carry Inspire that's coming out next week Uh, all all those songs were written in single sessions and literally are are unchanged the only thing that's changed about them is in the recording process able to add the second guitar so some harmonies and like extra leads and things like that but the you, core unchanged
1: that's that's fucking rad and it's uh, it's really interesting to me that you guys are like a jam band it seems like so many times when we talk to bands who specifically talking about like technical death metal right like shit that's really difficult to play um shit that is not always easiest to listen to right which i find that i find stuff like that to be rewarding because you can continuously find new things about it further down the road but it seems like a lot of the chemistry with bands like that is mostly like each guy brings in his own finished track maybe the other guys sort of throw in a little bit of flavor before they record it but at the end of the day i write my shit i bring it in you write your shit, you bring it in, but not you guys. I would not have expected that. That's that's really interesting and cool to hear.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And even even when we had the full band before it was just Neil and I like Malediction was written in, in a very similar fashion, but we just had more people in the band and how we would do is we would jam and then we would be like, OK, is that riff like is that is that lame or do we keep it? And if everyone was like, no, no, that's killer. Then we just we just added it and we just built off of that section. Right. As we kind yeah. of went. And sometimes like sections were like almost the entire song or half the song, like in one, just wherever things went organically, like, wherever like the guitar would end up going or if the drum would do a break, what would kind of come in? It was just like whatever would materialize. If it sounded, we don't, we don't really care if it sounds like in key necessarily, as long as it sounds like good to us and everyone who's in the, in the writing session is totally cool with it. So with Neil and I, it was just, it was a bit easier to do. We were just, um, we're we're so locked in. I mean, him and I have been playing for over a decade. So he already knows where I'm going to things. I already know where his, you know, his limits or, or where he could take things. And what's great about a drummer like Neil is that he's so incredibly intelligent that he never forgets anything that he's played. Like, yeah, no matter how complex the pattern, I, it blows my mind because like I've, I'm still flubbing my parts. You know, if it wasn't. You know, he's not like that. He's just like ultra methodical, and so being able to to do write some of the music that we write is really thanks to the talent that's like behind the kit, to be honest. Because he remembers it, he carries it through, he pushes it forward. It's just incredible.
1: It's, it's, and that's it's really cool, man. To to think about like the chemistry between people that comes together to create this music was, like I said, you know, it seems like so often that's not the case. Um, So leading up to you guys, you know, you finished malediction, you'd already started writing songs for inversion of the unseen horizon. Um, When did you record those things? Did you record that before or after COVID or during COVID or what?
2: So we, uh, we recorded the drums before COVID, Hit. So we went uh, and we recorded drums with a guy called Topon Dawes, who is um, the main guy in the Grandcore band. Fuck the facts.
1: Oh uh, shit! Yeah. So,
2: so super awesome band, and they're local. They're they're here in Ottawa, and they've been around for like ever, ever. Yeah. And uh, we, we love them so much. And actually, Topon for a while was uh, was like the sound engineer at one of the local bars here in town that used to host metal shows. So. It was always great uh, knowing that if Topon was going to be doing sound, that it wouldn't sound like complete junk, you know, like he knew what he was doing because he plays the stuff himself. So we uh, we actually went to his studio to uh, to record the drums. We did that over a weekend. Neil banged out those nine tracks in like two days. There was nothing to it. Uh, the way that we did it was uh, no clicks, uh, just me in the room with Neil. Uh, my guitar was routed through whatever topon did so that neil could hear myself like through a plug-in and we just kind of like we we jammed the whole songs and we did full takes of the songs and then whatever the best one was was kind of what was kept uh type of thing which was really cool so once the drums are recorded topon spent some time editing editing them a little bit and kind of getting everything tightened up and then he sent me uh, the drum the completed drum tracks themselves and that's when COVID was now like full-blown mania and everything was locked down and all that stuff so I had to learn how to record guitars at home which was like uh, again something I hadn't really done before so it was like millions of hours on YouTube and watching all sorts of stuff and buying all sorts of stupid equipment and all that nonsense so I could record uh, like DI tracks Uh, so I recorded all of the guitars um, and all that stuff uh, in maybe two weeks um, just between work and evenings
1: on weekends things like that and as you were recording these things sort of like you said you hadn't you hadn't done that by yourself before or done that at home before Um, how how was like doing it at home with sort of yourself being your own coach like how did that sort of affect the writing or the recording process this
2: time um, <laughs> okay the first song took me the longest the, the longest to do right uh-huh. because uh, it probably took me like a full day I would say full eight hours to record the first song uh, and that's because I was now uh, I was figuring it all out but then I, I realized holy shit you know I could record like a small part at a time and it'd be like ultra clean. And just do like what you know all these modern bands seem to be doing which is like right. note for note fucking the shit out of it and that kind of <laughs> stuff and i'll tell you i i tried to do that for the first song and i drove myself absolutely mental because like first of all i'm just not that technically savvy so it's uh, and and i did not like the way it sounded so what i ended up doing was i deleted that i muted the scratch guitar track that was that top one had included So it was just the raw drums going through. Literally closed my eyes. I know it sounds like cheesy and lame, but like literally just closed my eyes and played the song. And then that was pretty much the bed track. And then I recorded the second guitar track, came up with the harmonies on the fly, kind of where I thought they should go. And that was pretty much how it went. And then after that, all the other songs got done in like an hour or two. So the whole guitar tracking process, once I decided not to do it, like note for note or anything like that and just just play got done super fast the thing i did take a bit of time with with the bass um just because I'm, I'm not really a bass player either i'm not a vocalist i'm not a bass player it seems like i'm barely a guitar player at this point i don't know you know what i am at this at this point but uh but i wanted the bass to really have its own sound and i wanted i didn't want to um I didn't want to just follow like root notes and like do that kind of stuff. I wanted some like old school clankiness and like, I want to pop the strings and do stuff that you heard off old Cryptopsy albums. Like I love that stuff. So that, that took a little bit of time just because of just a little unfamiliar with the instrument. So I would spend before recording a track, I would play the track on bass a couple times, figure out what my parts were. Cause I basically wrote them as I was recording them on that day. But yeah, it was an interesting process, man. I, I'm personally not a fan of, of doing it like that. Um, there, I could definitely see the tendency to, to be like ultra meticulous and razor editing. I could see the appeal. Like, I, I don't judge bands who do that. Like, again, at the end of the day, if the end result is like what you're looking for, man, all the power to you. But for me, just that was not an enjoyable experience at all
1: i i think that like as much as i hate to say it man i think maybe your suffering is our gain with this um <laughs> i i received the promo for inversion of the unseen horizon not too long ago i've listened to the record all the way through a number of times it's oh, cool. just a really impressive leap uh from from where you left off with malediction um speaking of cryptopsy you've got john yeah. um leviser playing on one of these songs how do you know him
2: well we don't uh, it, it, it was a... uh, I was
1: hoping there'd be like a really cool story where well, like he nurtured you guys along the way or something Canadian uh, French Canadian death metal bands
2: man I wish but no uh, listen I have tons of stories none of them are actually that cool okay so uh, a perpetual dad joke embodiment over here but no the, the thing with John was um, um, so for the, the track that he's done some solo work on impaled upon the Carrie Inspire we always knew we wanted a solo in the very beginning and we knew that we wanted a guest solo, something different. We hadn't done that yet. Yeah. And we actually got a couple of other people to do a solo before John's. So we, uh, we actually got uh, Alex Bailey from cognizance to, uh, to rip a solo for us on that, on that section. But you know, Neil and I just weren't feeling it. It just, it was super, it was awesome that he was willing, like he was so down, he likes the band, all that kind of stuff, but man, it just wasn't, like we just weren't feeling it and that opening riff is like a cryptopsy riff man I think I ripped it off like directly I can't even say I was inspired by <laughs> I think I actually like legitimately ripped it off and in fact John when we did end up meeting him for recording he said you know that riff kind of sounds a lot like this riff on blasphemy I mean, I yeah it's because it is man like <laughs> I <don't have> to <laughs> thank <tell> you <laughs> but uh so uh, Neil and I talked about like it would be fucking amazing to get John Lavassar uh, to do this solo but John's a bit of like um like a bit of a mystery you know he kind of comes and goes he's he's not on on online he's on social media he's a bit like when he chooses to be a recluse man he will do his own thing and like really appreciate that so we had reached out to Flo and other people in Cryptopsy to see if they could, you know, hook us up with this contact info. And they were all very respectful of his privacy. So that that was like a dead end. Um, but uh, I ended up finding someone who claimed to be John on a really obscure guitar forum from like something back in 2012. And, and there was someone claiming at that moment to be John. And the picture was of the guitar, the Strat. I was like, okay, so I I decided to uh, send a message through that. I created an account, sent a message, and never expected to hear back. About three weeks later, I get a message back from from uh, someone claiming to be John, saying, "Hey, man, yeah, this is the real John. Um, uh, I'd be interested to hear what you guys, you know, got going on." So we sent him the track, and and immediately after, he's like, "I am definitely definitely down for this. This is this is killer stuff." And so we chatted by email and then by text for a couple weeks before inviting him out to Ottawa to join us at the studio, fully masked up because of yeah. you know COVID restrictions. And uh, Neil and I were joking about you know whether this was actually going to be John Devasar and, and not just like some guitar player called John Vassar, but like not the actual guy. That's you know, he'll sh- yeah, he'll like show up and be like, yeah, man, I'm. My name is John. Uh, <laughs> I do play guitar, but like I'm not I'm not that guy. And then when he shows up, man, you're like you know, his long hair was gone. He he had joined the bald man club, and like he was wearing a mask, so we didn't even know if it was him. But as soon as he pulled out the guitar, and as soon as he started playing, we knew immediately, right, that we weren't uh, catfished by some random guitar form nerd. So yeah, and uh, so what was really cool about that whole experience is that well, first of all, all of us in the band, including uh, Topon, who recorded the album, we're all huge fans of Cryptopsy. None so vile is like all of our Bibles. We love that album to death. And to have the guy, you know, the guy who wrote None so vile, who wrote Whisper supremacy, like ripping out the solo in one take, like you know, just like nothing, just like yeah. no problem. And at the same time, being the 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 most humble sweetest guy you could ever possibly meet super passionate Talked to us like we he he worked 10 minutes recording and about three hours just shooting the shit about none so vile what it was like recording all the things like just really fed into all of our fandom was just the nicest nicest guy but but the thing that stood out the most was after he'd finished ripping his solo he said hey listen can you can you put on that last riff on the song Cause like, I love that riff so much that I learned it and, and I just want to jam out on it for a bit. So he had like taken the time to like learn and figure out what we were playing on guitar and wanted to play it. And, um, and after the solo and everything was done, maybe about a few weeks later, he sent me a message to be like, I know this is probably a little extra, but I have this classical guitar idea that I think would go really well also for this song. And it ties in with this other lead part that he you did so he was super involved in that track just like a genuine musician just like this idea was really into what we were trying to do so that whole experience in itself man was it still kind of floors us a little bit that that this guy who to to us is just such a legendary guitar player was just so down to earth so humble so genuine and he was just like uh, super into the music it was it was a really cool experience and it really just happened by luck
1: which is yeah it's it's cool to hear that you guys had to do like some internet sleuthing to run this dude down (laughs) and then like wonder whether or not it was the actual real deal when he showed up It, it does feel very much like the rest of the record um sort of an organic chemistry that came together to create these songs, those parts that he added to it feel like they were like they were part of it from the beginning, which yeah, you're right. That is very that's that's really cool and really rare, I think. Um and so you guys are like, you've got a really solid um it's weird to say when you're talking about a fucking underground death metal band, but like the PR campaign behind getting the word out for this record um has been very extensive, I feel like. And I I'm really, really hoping Uh, that you guys get a shitload of eyes and ears on this upcoming record man because i think it's really good i think that you guys are definitely in a position where more people need to know about the band um really cool pre-order packages that you guys have got set up we got vinyl you got cd so it's it's uh it's really exciting
2: oh man thank you so much for saying that and um Again, just the fact that that you guys have heard of the album in itself, to be honest, like n- not just trying to like gird the lily as my old boss would like say, but you know, it, it really just means a lot to us, and like th- that in itself just blows our own expectations. Um, the PR campaign is is it's nice to hear that uh, it's coming across well. We we actually hired um, Asher Media, who's yeah. like a Montreal-based PR guy uh to kind of look after all that kind of stuff and um we have like a social media team that we hired for the 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 album promo campaign as well to like be regular with posting stuff because we're just terrible at it we don't understand social like neil and i are just like archaic motherfuckers we don't we don't quite get social media i don't know what a hashtag is yet still you know like so we we got some people involved um uh, and I think our goal is not to, to make it. It's just, we want, we really want more people to hear this stuff and, and hear the music legitimately. We, we don't, you know, we're, we have good careers. Like we're, you know, we're not doing this for anything other than we just hope that people hear it, love it and hear John's parts and, and what Topon did uh, for the recording process and, and the whole package and really just kind of like, because, you know, Deformatory, it says that, you know, a lot of people have been asking us recently in interviews, like, you know, how hard has it been as a duo, but, you know, I feel like it's really been like a duo, this album, because like the the artwork was done. We didn't do the artwork. We didn't record the album. We didn't mix and master it. We're not even promoting it ourselves. Like we're, like there, there's a whole bunch of extensions of the Deformatory machine that, that are all part of this album. So it actually feels like this is the biggest Our band has ever been in terms of member size if uh, if that makes sense
1: no it does it's well i mean like it takes a village right and i think that um i think that the people that you've got involved with it are definitely doing their jobs what you've what you've contacted them and trusted them to do and their jobs are made easier by the fact that they are pushing a record that's fucking awesome and it's called inversion of the unseen horizon it comes out september 3rd uh, Charlie Leduc from Deformatory. Thank you so much for talking to us today, man. We really appreciate having you. Um, we are always, it's always a very gratifying experience for us when we end up talking to musicians from bands we like, especially bands that we've been into for a few years and they turn out to be really cool down to earth, dudes. So thank you so much for that.
2: Oh, thank you guys and really appreciate the, uh, the chat and hope you guys
1: have a great stellar day. Oh, Charlie, thank we're you. not done yet, my dude.
0: We got one more. oh oh
2: right hey i thought this was the end of the interview man i thought we were
1: it's we're close we're close. oh okay well listen we've got Uh, one more i'm down we got one more question that we've got to ask you and this is incredibly important this is the thing that caps (laughs) off every single chat that we have on this podcast it's it's our pride and joy it's what really brings us closer as fans to the people whose music we admire zach hit this motherfucker with the hammer
0: Charlie thank you for joining us today bro but I have to ask you a very serious question what is your favorite Black Sabbath album?
2: oh man yeah this is the hammer eh holy it fuck yep, yep. listen Black Sabbath has has the most special place in my heart that's what I what I started listening to as a kid I got my first uh, stereo system you know when I was 10 years old uh, uh, we had like a border living in our home for a while. I don't know why anyways, someone renting a room. <laughs> uh, and he g- gave me a milk crate of his old albums when I was about 10. And included in that was a pile of Black Sabbath and Ozzy Osbourne albums and some like Twisted Sister, all sorts of awesome shit. So when I started listening to music, that's I was listening to Black Sabbath vinyls. Uh, so it's really hard, man, to, to choose one. Cause I love Dio era Sabbath. I love the Osman era Sabbath, but if I'm going to have to choose um, you know, there, there's, there's something about um, master reality that hits me in a very dark way that I love. I've listened to that album a million times. And I would say that that album it is right up there for me it's it's really hard it's like a close it's a close first with like you know the self-titled yeah. and paranoid all that stuff but it just there's something about it that's just a little bit it's, extra
1: it's so dark and it's so doomy i feel like it's i feel like that's got some of their heaviest moments on it i think it's definitely the heaviest record that they did with ozzy um that's the that's that's my favorite black sabbath record oh, cool yeah yeah um and so when it, it's i like that you sort of struggle to put into words what it is about that record that makes it stand out and makes it so unique because i i've found myself in that same position a whole bunch of times especially every time that we have this conversation and somebody brings up Master of reality i'm like it's just good because it is right like it is it's yeah. it, it, it fits, right? You know, and
2: you know so that's it, really cool. What, you know what it is? There's a mnemonic association with that album. Uh, for me, I, I remember very vividly uh, my bedroom in the basement. I remember like how dark it was. I remember having, listening to the album and reading the liner notes. I remember everything about that album and just, um, uh, I could not stop listening to it. So I think there's like, there's always going to be like this attachment to that album, no yeah. matter and I love Black Sabbath. Like, there's very few Black Sabbath albums that I don't like, but um, that one takes the cake for me for whatever reason.
1: Well, just real quick before you go, man, um, it's interesting. Since you leave it on that note, I am curious <laughs> what what Black Sabbath album don't you like?
2: Oh, uh, you know, I'm not a big fan of Dehumanizer. Really? Yeah, I know, I know. That's I don't know okay, what it is,
1: Charlie. There's that's we. Everything but, else has been so great up till this point, go. man. We still love
2: but, you. But listen, you know, on on Into the Wake of Pestilence, the first track is called Dehumanized, and I and uh-huh. I and I drew it that that album because I was actually get, okay. Another random bullshit story that makes no sense. You uh, love these. When I when I was in uh, in seventh grade, I I was like 11, 11 years old, twelve years old, whatever. Uh, I had an aunt that gave me a bunch of hand-me-down clothes right because my i didn't come for much money my, my family got by and so but in that bag was this like kind of tattered dehumanizer black sabbath shirt right awesome. and i fucking love black sabbath but it's like i did not know that album but i wore that shirt until it became a part of my flesh you know what i mean so uh there, there was always a part of me that knew that I was going to write a song called Dehumanizer, Dehumanize or Dehumanizing because because of that, because like it was the it was the one shirt in that pile of garbage that made me made me happy.
1: So <laughs> even even if you don't like the record, we can say that that record in itself gave us a very important chapter in <laughs> the deformatory history. That's that's awesome. man. again, Charlie, dude, thank you so much. Um, we love the new record. We thank hope you. that it's huge. Um, And we definitely hope to talk to you again, man. Have a great day. Thank you so much. Thanks, man.
2: Thanks, guys. Take care. For real this time, right?
1: Yes, for Um. real. We're good. (laughs) All right. Cheers, guys. Later, man. What a good dude. Did
0: you expect anything less from a fellow Canadian death metal musician? I mean, we're like batting a hundred with those guys.
1: I should should learn to... say that in like French, uh, I yeah. feel like, I feel like, I feel yeah. like we can anticipate at this point that anybody that we talk to is going to be a good dude. And so I think that if they have another, uh, uh, their their native tongue, whatever that is, I think it's probably a, a, appropriate for me to learn how to say it in that language. Absolutely, sir. That was
0: cool. That dude was like so smart and nice and like a wealth of information. I just wanted to let him talk, you know what I mean? Yeah,
1: man. Yeah. He's just hearing it. Definitely. And so you and and everybody listening right now, go to Deformatory's Instagram page. I know that they're there. They might have them on Facebook or something else, but Instagram is primarily where I see them. Um, They've got this whole video series of the dudes in the band talking about like inspirations, talking about the recording process, talking about all this really cool shit associated with the no record and uh, with Deformatory. Definitely worth checking out. Do that.
0: Absolutely. Thank you, Shuler. This has been a great time, as always, brother.
1: Thank you, dude. I love you. And we are going to see each other again very soon.
0: Yes, Tuesday.
1: Yes, I do believe so. Sweet.
0: Love you, Peace out, my man. Have a good weekend.
1: You too, brother.